Strap yourself in. Because we're set up, switched on and ready to go. Welcome to this week's Smallest Guys podcast. This podcast is designed for small government contractors, service providers, and manufacturers as part of the government contractor ecosystem, connecting manu- connecting people, organizations, and resources. Uh, I'm your host, Just Nate, and this week on the phone, we've got Dennis DK. Welcome, Dennis. Hey, thanks, Nate. Okay, you're welcome. That's kind of weird. Or should I, do you want me to start calling you Katie? I will. The Nate, or what sorry, the- Nate and Kate. Do you want me to start calling you Kate? I'll call, call Carney and Kate. That's fine. No. Okay. Okay, Dennis, you are um, <laughs> traveling again. Um, in, beautiful, in beautiful, sunny, and you can cut it with a nice air. Huntsville, Alabama. That means it's thick. today. 100% humidity. Is there any bugs down there? Uh, no, bugs actually no. They killed them all. They sprayed the it's too damn hot. Kill all the bugs. They do. I'm serious. They do. Okay, well, they Dennis, spray. back here in uh, in our world headquarters here in Colorado Springs, Colorado, um, sitting across the table from me, I have our next guest. He's actually in person, so uh, let's bring him on. Um, today we've got uh, a Mr. Doc Klonicki. He is the president and CEO of Aredi. 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 Arity. Arity. Um, and uh, lots of other things. So welcome, Doc. I'll let you kind of introduce yourself and what you do. Okay. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure being here. Uh, I'm Doc Kladnicki. I am president and CEO of Arity. And one of the reasons that I'm also here is uh, some of my involvement in the community uh, to include having uh, been formerly on the uh, board of directors for CMMCAB. I'm also currently a member of the National Board of Directors for the National Defense Industrial Association, or NDIA, and I am the Vice President for the Rocky Mountain Region of the Space Division of NDIA. And I'm also a Director Emeritus for the Rocky Mountain Chapter of NDIA. And I also am the Chairman for the Small Business Committee for the Rocky Mountain Chapter and a member of the National Small Business Division. Okay. Um, and he's and, also on the subcommittee for aerospace in the United States. And today I think we're going to put him as the uh, subcommittee of our sponsorship <laughs> program for the smalls. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that would be fun. And he's moving our world headquarters too. I think he said Rio de Janeiro. Uh, yes. <laughs> hey, I'll, I'll pack my bags. <laughs> How about Cabo? 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 Oh, I, don't, I don't know. What's, what's, the, what's the world like right now with COVID? I don't, I don't know. Whatever. Oh, you might as well just go to Bimini. 
It's 50 minutes drive, flight, whatever, 50 minutes by boat from Miami. It's okay. absolutely gorgeous. 700 yards wide island. You probably don't even need a passport then to go. You just uh, yeah, you do, but it, <laughs> it's uh, it's great. Okay. Okay, so you are in person. Dennis, I wish you were here. Um, it's been kind of lonely this week without you here. It's been quiet, I'll tell you that. Quite quiet. We invaded, we invaded our corporate headquarters down here today. They, they didn't like that much either. Oh, uh, that's okay. About, they, about the crew. You need to spice it up a little bit. We do. Okay, so Doc, tell us what the company does. Well, tell us what your company does. Well, our, our logo is committed to excellence and building relationships needed to succeed. Um, and we, that's what we focus on is helping uh, other companies uh, seek the work based on their capabilities and provide products okay. or services for the government um, in a contracted matter, either as a subcontractor or as a prime. And so we also look at how can these small businesses have a relationship with larges as well as relationships with the government. Okay, so are you acting more as a in a consultant role or full up prime sub subprime scenario? Uh, it varies depending on the client that I have. Are you do you mainly do like ANAS or advisory assistant services or CETA type work or? Uh, no, I, it's a variety. So, for example, um, our Arity was asked to participate in a study looking at the human lander system for about four months. And it was uh, quite in depth. One of the gentlemen on the team had been working at NASA since 1960 uh, in the what was then called the manned space program and is now called the crewed space program. So that was fascinating to get it, what I call get my geek on. So you were talking, so the lander program from Mars, 1960, yeah. or from Mars or the moon in 1969 that you so, did? No, so he was in, <laughs> he'd been working there since 1960. I was born in 63, but I did watch the, the first landing on the moon. We got yeah. a picture at my parents' house, my brother and I. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it was, yeah. So that's, that's been our lineage. And as a matter of fact, my um, mother was born and raised in England. And uh, when she was about 10, 11, um, one of the uh, Nazi V-bombs landed in the back of her father's farm. And if you ever go to the National Air and Space Museum and look at the V-rocket display, when you look at the map at England and all the different red dots, look at the one up near Bedford. And that's the one that landed back there. And her father was, was a, a pig farmer. And so he, there were six, at the time, Army Air Corps uh, landing strips in and around this village called Poddington. And uh, he would go around and uh, pick up the trash from the different uh, air bases and then sort through and find all the silverware and then feed the food to the pigs. And so after this V-bomb landed, him and a bunch of the blokes there in the village uh, just sort of manhandled that thing onto a horse-drawn cart and took it over to the air base and said, do you Yanks want this thing? So... <laughs> I've been in rocketry since my mother was bombed by a V-bomb. <laughs> so it's a, it's a weird sort of way uh, to look at it. And as a matter of fact, when my uh, 12-year-old daughter was watching uh, some of the stuff I was doing on the human lander system, she asked some questions, and she even said, why don't you this or that? So two of her recommendations made it into our report of the 12 that we made. And uh, of those 12, they were down-selected. <laughs> to eight her two stayed and six of mine <laughs> you know it's it, people might laugh at that but 
I actually ask, I've got three children. I've got a 14-year-old daughter, a 12-year-old son, and an 8-year-old son. I ask them all the time yeah. for, what's your opinion? Because they just think differently, They right? think very differently. Yeah, she, she wants to work um, in human habitation systems that go off-planet. She doesn't care if they're orbiting or on the surface of another planet. So this is... This was fun for her. It was it was fun for me, and it, it's kind of the same way with the business. You know, I've uh, I've got one client that I'm working with right now that has a really great idea on what's called OSAM, and that's the on orbit uh, servicing, assembly, and manufacturing. And um, it's a brilliant idea, uh, and it will be a very low cost solution. And one of the things that they're working on is how do you how do you improve your uh, TRL, your technology readiness level when this is a space-based program. And so they're finding ways to put the application to use on the earth. And then you just do the math with gravity to show the differences. And so you can, you can see, touch, feel, you know, use your senses right here on planet earth and not have to hit your ride on, you know, Elon Musk's or any one of those or rockets. Now, there is other, there's companies out there though, that they took it a different step for increasing their TRL level is, they're developing manufacturing on orbit. Yes, that's what this one is doing as well. So they literally are putting like 3D printers. Yes. That then they can actually go up and grab update if they need to for right. a new hardware or whatever. Right. So it's... It's phenomenal. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. So for example, right now when you launch, um, you have different risk protocols associated with your launch depending upon what the payload is. Clearly, if it's crude that's your highest risk profile because you don't want to kill the people on it. This would just rely on launching, you know, spools of, of metal or carbon fiber up into space. That's a, you put it on, on a rocket. And if it blows up, you just put another one up in space. You haven't really lost anything, you know, yep. the cost of the material, cost, but that's, but it's embedded in, in the process. Uh, and it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's fascinating watching these um, these young, like I said, these people get their geek on, really think hard about a solution, and then try and find someone who knows how to do business so that they're focused, they can focus on the technology and the part that they like the most, and they can bring someone else in who can understand the business. But, but for some of them, they, they, don't, they don't speak the English in the same way, you know? Yeah, so they're engineers, they're technical, you know, they have no qualms doing math out loud and in public, you know? Um, whereas if, if, if you're more on the business side, it's not as often yeah. that you find that those folks have been technically trained well, as well. There and is so, money. Out. And Dennis and I were just having this conversation this week a couple times, actually, when I called him or he called me. You know, we're, every single person we're talking to is going to the National Space Symposium, right? right. I mean, yeah. it's the biggest event for space in the entire country, if not the world. And a lot of people are upset because, well, it's expensive. You know, people here, I hear it's $3,000 a ticket or $2,700 yeah, a ticket. It is. Yeah, it's expensive, but it is. so is space, right? Yeah. And the return on investment can be huge. So, yeah. um, I don't know. Dennis, thoughts, opinions? You're kind of quiet. You just fall asleep? <laughs> I did. I went out to lunch earlier. <laughs> I didn't fall asleep. Hey, um... Doc, so you've got a lot of technical background. I know I know that you and I are friends, and I know you've been in the Air Force. You were in the Air Force for a while. Um, so that's kind of led you to this path and to this, you know, standing up your own company. Um, do you want to talk about that, how you made that transition and kind of the direction that you've gone? Yeah, certainly. So um, I, I spent 20 years in the Air Force. Um, 
they were polite enough to uh, pay for my bachelor's degree. So I went to school here in Colorado Springs and graduated in 1985 from the Air Force Academy. Um, went into ICBM operations um, and then did a, uh, a career broadening uh, to the Air Force Academy. And I had some command opportunities there, um, exec time. I also taught. I had picked up my master's degree before that, and the commandant, who at the time was uh, Brigadier General Steve Lorenz, uh, said, look, uh, would you like to go get a Ph.D. and come back? I said, love to. So I went off for my Ph.D. Um, my dissertation committee chair, her mother, took ill, so she took a six-month sabbatical, so I had to call back to AFIT and say, you know, now what? And so they said, stay six more months, but take more courses. So I went to the dean and I said, can I get another Ph.D. while I'm here? And he's looked at me and he says, no, you have to pay for these core courses the second time. I said, well, I'm sorry, I'm not familiar with the business model of education. So uh, instead, I got what's called a dual cognate, um, which, of course, created, you know, head spins when you come back to active duty. People are like, well, so you have two Ph.D.s? I'm like, no, I have one. So I've got enough credits to have two. It's well, just I didn't pay for two. So so that's <laughs> that's where the call sign doc came in. So it was it was more of a pejorative than anything else. But as most call signs are, it's usually from something weird you've done. And uh-huh. uh, so here, hold my beer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so so I had twenty years in, and I I chose to retire, uh, and I went to work for a local company um, that was doing missile defense work. And so they hired me in as a chief scientist, and I was really enjoying it. And the president, uh, the vice president for the region had said, it's too bad you're not interested in ops. And I said, I'd love to get back into the operations side. So he brought me back over into the operations side for the business. And I really enjoyed learning the ins and outs of business. But I also liked the fact that every once in a while you'd get a phone call because, you know, you'd had that subject matter expertise stink on you. And so I got to play in both worlds. And I stayed with that company for about nine years. And then I I thought, you know, maybe I should open my own. Um, and so, you know, I had the conversation with my wife and we agreed, yeah, let's do it. And then I got an offer to work for another company as a, a business development person. And they'd always worked for me. I'd never done business development before. And, you know, the joke was it's easy. I mean, all you do is go to lunch and play golf. And I'm like, well, yeah, it's easy unless you want to win contracts. Yeah. Then it's hard. It, it's easy to talk with people. And, yeah, it's hard. You have you have to spend a lot of time studying a lot of things and really understand. And then you have to learn how to write even better. If it, you, know, you could be a good writer. You have to write even better. Your stories have to be very, very well thought out and, and show value to the client. And so I did that for a while. And then the last company I was at, we were selling it. And, and unfortunately, my mother had fallen and broken her hip. And so she um, was not doing well. And so she said, listen, I, I want you to go back to that company you opened and give it a shot. So, you know, you don't say no at that point. Uh, and so uh, we did. And um, uh, it was a struggle for a couple months trying to find clients and explain what the value was that I brought. Uh, and then I was fortunate enough to be with a client that was successful in their proposal. Uh, and there's nothing like success to breed customers. And uh, so, you know, in the last two and a half, three years now, we've, we've just had a very good time. Um, and I work with some amazing people. And I, I help um, boards of directors. I help uh, the C-suite understand 
some of the subtle nuances in these smaller companies. Um, and I, I work with the business growth side of the businesses as well as the business operations. And so it's just been a lot of fun. And as long as I keep, keep going at it from that angle of fun, uh, it allows me to share. Uh, so I get a chance to go to some of the uh, small forums in the demonstration days and, and all this stuff. And I keep saying this phrase, but I get my geek on. I get to go back to the techie stuff, as, as Dennis was pointing out. And, and really, uh, you know, I say I'm living the dream because I am. I, you know, both sides of my brain are satisfied and uh, the business is growing. And, um, you know, mama's happy. That's the key. Uh, happy wife, happy yeah. life. Oh, yeah. She's a great woman. Very, very patient with me. You told her she, you're going to do this today, didn't you? And you're going to have her listen to it now? Uh, no. I, was, I may have forgotten. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so... How, how big is the company right now? Well, we just had our third employee that's full-time. Okay. And, and I've got uh, 1099. So um, what what I rely on for the subject matter expertise are, are connections that I've made over the years. And uh, I bring those in as my subject matter experts. And then they help um, formulate some of the uh, solutioning. Okay. And then we take that to the client and uh, move those solutions forward uh, and go after work. Uh, and so, I, you know, you, you kind of have to figure out how do you measure success? Um, and one way you measure success in, in business development is either number of contracts won or dollar value. So we've won $1.4 billion worth of work. Um, and I've been doing this since 2014 with my company. And um, it's, it's very rewarding to watch um, small companies go from struggling to winning, you know, a million dollar contract, a $3 million contract. And then, um, so then some of those folks go off and work with another company and you, and they call you back and they say, Hey, remember when you said X, Y, Z, could you also ABC? I go, yeah. And why don't you try this as well? And off they go get 10, hundred million dollar contracts. Um, because they're able to show clearly what the product or service is that they have adds value to the mission, either the mission for the prime or the mission for the government. Yeah. It's, yeah. yeah, it's really, I mean, it's a very, it's really, it's that simple, you know, to stick with those core principles that how do you show value and in, are you doing it either through a product or service or both? Um, because when you write these proposals, a lot of times folks, they really get excited about what it is that they're trying to do and they really want to say a lot. And, and they write these sentences that are just convoluted. And, and I tell people, I say, look, stick with active voice and, and 30 words or less in your Sometimes senses. Sometimes less is more. A lot of times less is more. And what I found is never offer up any, well, most of the time, don't offer up anything that they did not ask. Yeah, there's, there's a lot to be said for that. When you're trying to show differentiation, it gets really, it gets really touchy. So a lot of folks use those, those tables, you know, benefit tables and whatnot, yeah. and they try to differentiate their their product or service, and especially in the service industry, as you mentioned in the beginning, ANAS, you know, are you going to take the same person and just put them into a different company? If so, why? Why do I? So what risk are you introducing to the government when you have to do a badge flip? When, you know, or what if you win because your cost was so low? And the government has seen this happen a number of times. It's like, well, you undercut this and you've cut the, the salary of some of these employees they might be at work, 
but they're actively seeking something else. So they're not focused on providing the service that you want your customer, the government to get, and that you promised in your contract. And so you'll get a lot of um, rotation of folks. And so that's also very difficult to work with. And, and the other hard part is that um, the, the, the regulations and the directives under which contracting officers have to work are very, very specific in a lot of ways. And they're meant to level the playing field. And so, you know, it, it centers on the, you know, the, the, the hump in your mean, right, in your, in your normal distribution. So it captures about 67%. But that means you're not going to get the worst, but you're also potentially not going to get the best. And so one of the things I tell my clients is if you really think your two standard deviations, three standard deviations are more above the mean in, the, in your abilities, you have to show how you also understand how you operate within the confines that the contracting officer has to have. So it's not just servicing a customer, let, let's say, a, um, you know, a, a space customer launch. You're also servicing the, co- the contracting officer. And, and they're human. Yeah. Uh, and so you don't want to create a system for them that's going to require them to spend 60 hours a week managing you. Yeah, it's, yeah, less is more, best way to put it. Yeah. Um, and, and it's, it's, a, it's an old adage, you know, get along. And, it's, and that doesn't mean forsake your ethics. That just means how do you collaborate and, and cooperate? You know, all those co-words, there's a reason for it. Dennis and I like pictures. You can well, say a lot more in pictures than words, so. Yeah, well, there's an adage, and, and I picked this up. Because I can't read. Well. <laughs> and I can't write, so yeah, hey, we're yeah. a perfect couple. Well, there's a, there's a thing that I call, it's called the mother of all graphics, or MOAG, and, and you guys are familiar with that because I've used that term around you as well. But, but for your listeners, that's basically what, what's the big picture in a picture format yeah. that you can put in your proposal that you constantly reference back to, and that is a conglomerate of other smaller pictures. So you pull those smaller pictures out and explain those in the different chapters, and you just walk the reader through how this big picture is clearly understood by you. For example, we were just talking about ANS. I understand that I could lose some staff, but and I understand that that means I might lose some of the intellectual capital. However, to control costs, these are some of the things we're going to do. Yep. Um, and the, and, and you just expose your risks that way and show how you're going to mitigate them or manage them, depending on which school of risk management you went to. And you, you just put that into your picture. And if you're trying to draw that on your whiteboard with your group and it's not working, that's an indicator that you don't really know what you're putting in your proposal or that your proposal is not clear. Yep. So we're going to take a quick break here, but when we come back, um, you just kind of uh, made me think of another question, but I'll I'll ask that when we get when we come back from break. And Dennis, have your questions ready too. We're going to start bringing you into this conversation because you sound like you're too tired or something. <laughs> I so. went to the Blue Plate for lunch. If you've ever been to Huntsville and the Blue Plate, oh, I love so. that place. You got to get the Blue Plate. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's fantastic. Oh, oh. I got the sweeties for sure. I need some caffeine. <laughs> it's really <laughs> I'm jealous, brother. I'm jealous. We're going to break. We'll be right back. The Department of Defense has gotten very serious about cybersecurity. The DOD just passed a new mandate called the CMMC that all government contractors must adhere to. In the near future, You will not be able to do business with the Department of Defense unless your company follows the CMMC protocol. Devil Dog Cybersecurity partners with government contractors to create 
and implement robust cybersecurity solutions that meet the DoD requirements. Our team of engineers have a large depth of knowledge in the CMMC and the NIST 800-171. Solutions can be implemented in as little as 30 to 90 days, depending on the size and scope of the project. Best of all, Devil Dog has an affordable pricing structure specifically designed for small to medium-sized businesses. The big question is, is your firm ready for a CMMC audit? Contact Devil Dog Cybersecurity and receive a free vulnerability assessment with no obligation. Register for your free assessment at DevilDogCyber.com. Devil Dog is here to make cybersecurity compliance affordable, fast, and painless for your company. Devil Dog Cybersecurity is one of the few companies designated as a registered provider organization by the CMMC accreditation body. This means our solutions adhere to the complex standards and requirements of the CMMC board. Register for your free assessment at DevilDogCyber.com. Devil Dog is here to make cybersecurity compliance affordable, fast, and painless for your company. Welcome back to this week's Smallest Cast Podcast. This week, we have Mr. Doc Klonicki with us. Welcome, Doc. Well, thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. And we've got Dennis on the phone. Uh, I hope he's still there. He didn't fall asleep again, but he, he went and ate the blue plate. I haven't fallen asleep yet. <laughs> you say that, but we can't see you, so I don't believe you. That says no. something bad about me, though, if I make you fall asleep. so uh, Or your guest. <laughs> no, it's all good. It's all good. How can we spice and that up? I appreciate up? Doc being on a date. Uh, I'm sorry I'm not there because I, I, I haven't seen Doc in a few months. So. Yeah, Plus it's been a while. after this one of these days. Most definitely. Yeah, yeah so. Yeah, speaking of cyber symposium, space symposium, you gonna, are you planning on, on frequenting the halls there? Is that the, the game plan? I, I am, and I'm, I'm going to have to go get a, a mask now because they've instituted the mask requirement for the space symposium. Well, they haven't said yeah. what type of mask, though. They said mask. Yeah, I you know I don't. So Nate's wearing his Halloween costume mask. Oh, there you go. <laughs> what? Uh, yeah, Darth okay. Vader mask. Yeah. Well, Chewbacca, dude, not Darth Vader. There you go. Yeah. I think we should do a clown mask for everybody else. Well, I saw one for folks that have longer beards like me. Uh, you know, and I'm like, I'm not so sure that's that's the intent behind the mask to have all that open space but i i prefer to not engage in that conversation i saw guys take their beards yeah. their beard's not long enough but i've seen get guys that take their beard push them up and then wear sunglasses to hold beard yeah, yeah i've seen that yeah they're pretty good yeah they look like the i forget that show from the 60s but yeah it or whatever oh there's it yeah, yeah it was it a beard, yeah. a beard bun yeah yeah, yeah. So we won't engage in that. Um, go ahead, go buy yourself a mask if you if you need one. We've got some right out here, right outside the world headquarters. We've got some free ones for you. Yeah, got some at home too. Yeah. Speaking of masks, Dennis, you bringing back my uh, my professional company mask? Um, they're gone. Everybody loves them. What, what do you mean they're gone? I thought well, you bought I, them for I the core more. people. I, I did. <laughs> okay, I guess rifle. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. Okay, so. Yeah. Anybody wants corporate masks made, I can hook you up with a lady who makes them there in Colorado. Yeah. Does a great job. Yeah, we got some for the the ball. Full brass ears. Yeah. 
simply handmade. Does a great job. I'm going to need one before Anyhow, so, Space Symposium. Right. All right. And you and I need to get business cards for the smalls before Space Symposium as well. Weren't you going to get us those business cards, Dennis? We can get them within 24 hours now online. It's pretty crazy. Doc, Doc, don't get me started. The nature has been flattened. <laughs> I've got them designed. We just haven't hit order. There's <laughs> one mission in life. <laughs> you can't get there. Yeah, that's one thing I'm working on, right? <laughs> but, he can do a, but he can do a podcast. He can do a good podcast. Never mind my paid job. <laughs> that's right. The heck with your paid job. Hey, um, so Doc, I had a couple questions. So, uh, well, I don't. Nate, you can ask him about his company and stuff, or where are you going? I, well, I was just going to go with right before we got kicked off. I just want to. We ended on Doc talking about risk. Um, I was just going to tell a quick story of. I was once told as I was coming up through the ranks was don't look at risk as being risk. Look at risk as being opportunity. Right. So what that means is, for example, in a firm fixed price project um, and on that proposal, don't just write down all your risks. If it's a risk, how can you turn that into an opportunity by saying, hey, Mr. or Mrs. Government, we see that. Uh, you know, you don't have enough computers. We'd love to provide you those computers. Can you add that to the PWS and we can now provide that to you? Mm-hmm. Now I've just increased my cost by them telling me to. Right. So yeah. kind of think of it that opposite way. It's really tough. It's, it, and for me, it was really tough because I always sat in risk. They, me growing up and going through my engineering background, it was always, you have to make sure you write down your risk, do this, do this, do this. And then how, how are you going to mitigate that risk? And and then, like I said, I, I had one mentor that once told me, stop thinking of it as risk. Right. Think of it as how can you turn that risk into an opportunity? Right. Yeah. Because you, you, you hear oftentimes, you know, what's your risk tolerance? And so for you, what might be a risk that you don't want to move into an opportunity because your tolerance is clearly an opportunity for someone else. Um, and you can look at the history we've mentioned once before, and we've talked about rockets, so I feel comfortable saying this, you know, Elon Musk and SpaceX. And when he tells his story about, look, if we'd had one more failure, the company was done. Um, But when you look at the early launch program for the Department of Defense uh, and some of NASA, there were a lot of failures. And you just, you know, but it was new. We were a little more, um, I don't want to say stable, because that implies we were unstable. But the, the innovations are a little bit more difficult to come through. Um, because there is so much knowledge and there becomes so much schools of thought and just, we've always done it that way isms that. And, but I, well, okay. I'm sorry to hit the mic. I think a lot of it actually extends from people are scared too, right? They're scared to, to take risk anymore. Right. Well, because I, there's, I, and I don't want, I don't mean to sound the sound bad. No, it's this, not bad. But I remember having conversations with people saying, Hey, we're going to, you know, when we first said we're going to go to Mars. And people are like, oh, my God, we cannot, we can't go to Mars because, you know, it's going to take 25 years to make sure that yeah. nobody dies or, yeah. you know what? We went to the moon in, what was it, four years, five years, something like that, from when we really first started trying to go. Well, from, from the speech to the landing is about, about a decade. Yeah, from about a decade. But, could I mean, to Mars right now, I guarantee you if you said we've got a ship going to Mars next July, 
you would have a list a mile long of people willing to go. Oh, you knowing would. the very fact that they probably maybe would not come back. Yeah, it experience it's those risks that we have to learn to take again. But let me let me turn that then before before Dennis gets a chance to ask a question here, and that is, you look at risk also as an entrepreneur um, when you're trying to make payroll, um, and and for whatever reason, not all your invoices have been paid, and your bank you've tapped out your credit line for your uh, accounts receivable loan. You take a second mortgage out on the house or something like that, you know, personal and credit cards, whatever personal. Listen, there are a couple of businesses here in this town um, where the owners literally, I shouldn't say literally because I just uh, got chastised by my 12 year old earlier about the word literally doesn't mean I said, okay. But these, 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 pe- they, <laughs> they, 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 they lived in their car and they used their credit cards to help uh, pay payroll. Oh, yeah. Um, and so you have to really believe in what you're doing and, and being in business, if if you knew all the problems that could happen, it would scare away a lot of people. And so one of the adages that I've taught in leadership is that lacking information, people fill in the blank with their fears. So the more you can communicate to people and, and there's, you know, there's ample opportunities to look across social media and the news and whatnot. And, and if you can, if you can clearly paint a picture, and again, this goes back to, like I said, with proposals. If you can write a, a clear picture and communicate fully what it is that's going on and leave no doubt in anyone's mind, when there's no gaps, there's no fear. When there's no fear, the risk tolerance goes way up. You've, you've built trust. Again, you're committed to excellence and you're building the relationships needed Yep. to succeed. Once again, based on relationships. Dennis, yeah. what questions you got? I'm going to shut up for a little bit so you can talk. <laughs> My turn no, to sleep. He's been, he's been, you know, I like to, the second half of the show, I like to talk a little bit about kind of, you know, what got you here. He, he spoke to that a little bit. And then, you know, what are some of the lessons learned that you've gotten? Um, and he's, he's addressing some of those too, uh, Doc, you are. But, you know, do you have any major, you've been at this for a couple of years now with your own company. Actually, it started longer than that, but really it's been, you know, moving out here, I think, over the last couple of years that I've known you now. Um do you have any less major lessons learned that, you know, somebody who's coming up still or thinking about starting a small business other than what you've already spoken to? Is there something else, other things that you'd want to tell them about, well, you know, be ready for this or, or this I learned this the hard way or the easy way? Yeah. So I think let's let's take what, what Nate was talking about as far as risk and what I was saying as far as an entrepreneur and making yeah. payroll. There are days where I remember I had a call from a client that I was sure was going to sign the contract. And they just said, yeah, I, you know, I don't have you know, government has extended the RFP date or something. So I don't need you this month. Can we, can we push it two months? And so you don't have a client. Um, and then you, so you're walking around and you're just sort of sullen and then you get a phone call from somebody who says, hey, don't you do X, Y, Z? Yeah, listen, I'm going to connect you with Bob or Joan over here. And then Joan responds to your email, and then you pick up the phone. And now you've signed Joan that night as a client. And so I would tell people, it's like, look, it, it, if, you, if you try to look at this marathon with a sprinter's mindset, go get a lot of blood pressure pills from your doctor because you're going <laughs> to need them, right? Um, <laughs> It, it's, it's stressful, but if you recognize that it's cyclic and sometimes like roller coaster cyclic, not, not traditional mathematics cyclic, 
you're, you're going to find that you're better able to weather the storm and you, you create a flexibility that it doesn't necessarily, I wouldn't use the word force, but it, it generates innovation within everything you do. So it sounds like one of the big takeaways from that story is networking is extremely important when you own your own business and you're trying to get clientele. It's, yeah. It, uh, business is based on relationships. Wow. You know, people, people try to. Well, I also think that, like, like you said, I, I, I tell young folks, there's a young gal down here I was talking to you during the conference. She works for a company. And, you know, I asked her what she wanted to do. She wasn't 100% sure. And I said, you know what the biggest thing you need to do? She was what? I said, go in a direction. She's like, what? I said, pick something and move in that direction. Because like he just said, Doc, um, you don't know where that's going to take you. You know, Nate and I's favorite thing is never turn down a discussion with somebody. They say, hey, you know, get a minute you want to talk. Um, because you don't know the direction. If you would have told me, you know, 35 years ago that I am where I'm going to, where I am today <laughs> and what I'm doing today. Yeah. I, I would have told you what, first of all, what the hell is that? Right. I mean, I mean, yeah. in a lot of, you know, you look at jobs 10 years ago, a lot of these jobs didn't even exist, you know, web management and all that stuff. Oh yeah. Um, you know, you, you don't know where you're going to end up or how you're going to end up somewhere. The biggest step to me is to take that step and then just start moving forward. You know, the, the journey of a thousand miles begins with the first step, but it really does. And, and it is like a hike in a mountain or whatever. You just don't know what's coming around the corner, where you're going to go. You may get no. no today and yes tomorrow. Um, and, and like you said, it's not a, it's not a sprint. And you yeah. Can't. Well, let, let me, you're so, going to get discouraged. Right. And yeah. yeah. So, so let me tell two quick stories associated with that. Go back and look at the movies of the Westerns, right? So they're basically 1865 to early 1900s. And, right. and in every one of the scenes in uh, where they go into a town or a city or a village, there's a blacksmith. And you always hear in the background, you know, the smith going to town, right? Why don't we have blacksmiths anymore? That's, that's, you know, it's 150 years ago, right? Why don't we have blacksmiths now? So some technologies change. Uh, one, of, one of the companies with which I worked, it was really fascinating. He... Uh, uh, he got his 8A, and he, he really wanted to be a, a, um, a system engineering firm. He just That's just what he wanted to do. Um, and the Small Business Administration showed that there is an 8A. Here was a contract, and, and he could get it. And it was local, and so he took it. And it was, it was a construction-like job. And he got an interview for a follow-on contract uh, in a completely different field but not systems engineering. And so he went to that interview and he got that. And so he still wanted to go do systems engineering. And I said, what past performance do you have that makes you a high value add to a team or prime for the government in systems engineering? He said, well, none yet. And I said, what value do you add right now? What capabilities do you have right now? And so you know, he wrote them down. I said, that's the work you can go after. When you're a small, cash flow is king. Right. When you're small, whatever capability you have is the capability that you're going to need to be able to sell. And that goes to exactly what Dennis is saying. It's just go. Uh, I, you know, lacking orders, attack, attack, attack. Right. So just take a direction and move out and things will happen and you can make modifications at that point. But if you have active contracts, you're more likely to be given a chance in an area where you don't have any capability simply because you've shown that you know how to bring workers to, to work on time, to do value added work 
and to um, manage your contracts wisely. But somebody's got it. You have to start somewhere, right? That's yeah. that's where the old adage of "fake it till you make it." Yeah, uh, you got to learn sometimes. So you got to get in there yeah. and just move out. Try yeah. try to figure out you know one direction. If you need to revector, revector, right? I mean, it, it mm-hmm. stop, change directions, move sideways, whatever you need to do. Um, I try to tell people not to move backwards, um, at least too far, because then you're yeah. it just takes a while to get caught up again. But yeah, I don't know. Interesting. You've reached the end of another episode of the Smalls Cast podcast. Connect with us at thesmalls.org. Don't forget to sign up to our newsletter to receive our free materials. See you at the next episode. See you at the next episode.